Okay, so I wanted to um, dedicate this class to my mother. Um, her yard site is actually this Shabbos, and I'm going to be teaching at the village shul, God willing, at 1010 uh, in her merit. Um, Yehudas, us, our own Ruvain, her neshama should have an aliyah, so we can all learn in her merit this morning something that will be very special for me and special to be with all of you to do this. Um, so we're in the month of Elul. We're halfway through the month of Elul. And Elul is a month that confuses some people because Elul really has a dual message. Um, and that du duality of the month of Elul, which actually, ladies, I have that class up on... Um, on my podcast, I did a class for this group that I spoke to you about, this Nishmat group. So I'm just going to, you can listen to that, and I'm going to give a brief synopsis of it so that we can go on to another idea, because there are so many ideas with the month of Elo. But one of the um, questions with this month is, how are we supposed to be feeling? What's going on in this month? So there's a dual nature to the month of Elul. On the one hand, we're told that this is a month of love. This is a month of positivity. This is a month where Hashem is closer to us than he is through the entire year. We're told that the king comes out of the palace in this month. He goes out into the field. And as long as you are in the field, you have totally accessibility, accessibility to the king. It's a time called an ace ratzon, where the king wants to hear from you what is it that you want. And he is sort of bending his ear down and saying, I love you. I love the Jewish people. I love each and every one of you. And my only desire is to be in relationship with you and to be close to you. And so the effort in this month that we have to make is simply you know, what the word teshuva implies, simply turning towards that relationship and being present for it, being in the field, just getting ourselves to the field so that the king can come and say, what is it that you want? Let's connect. Let's have relationship. Rafinka says that it's like an eagle who swoops down and hovers over the eaglets and basically says to them, jump onto my back. So all the eaglets have to do is make that one small little jump. And the eagle takes the eaglets and takes them up to higher places. So all we want to have in this month of Elul really is the yearning, the desire to want to connect. And the truth is, is if we just have this, we can feel the energy of this month. We can feel the closeness of Hashem in this month. If we just make that little turn of saying, I want that connection. I want that. Now, on the other hand, we have this message of love. Anila dodi vidodi li. Right? I am my beloved and my, my, my beloved is mine. And the first letter of that phrase, Anila dodi vidodi li, spells the word Elu. It's an allusion to the fact that this is a month where it's basically a love fest between God and the Jewish people. And before we go further and talk about the other nature of Elul, um, I want to just give all of you, those of you who may not know, and just for all of us, a review of what was going on um, in this time period in of the Jewish uh, events of our, our history at this time. Because the reason we need to know this is not because, okay, is, is again, something that I've said in other classes, that the Jewish concept of time is not just linear, right? Rather, the Jewish concept of time is cyclical. In other words, every year, like a spiral that continues to go upward, we come back in the calendar to that same point in time where certain spiritual energies were released into the world because of the events that took place between God and the Jewish people. And we're able to tap into those spiritual energies. And the mitzvot of the day or the mitzvot of the holiday are there to help us be able 
to tap into that energy and use it for our own spiritual growth. And of course, for the ultimate purpose of it all, reconnection or a new connection or a higher and more developed and deeper connection with the one who created us, with the one who put us in this world for purpose, with a mission, and has certain expectations and hopes for us. So these are the tools that we have every year to tap into those energies. So what was going on at this time of year? So we have to go back to the exodus from Egypt, because it's all connected, okay? When the Jewish people left Egypt and we began our journey in the desert to Mount Sinai, that 40-day count, we could call this a kind of engagement period between God and the Jewish people. We were getting to know each other, right? We were climbing out of the muck of Egypt and trying to refine ourselves and make ourselves worthy of, you know, getting this lifelong long partner, this wonderful groom, because God is always referred to as the Chatan and the Jewish people as the Kala. And the most incredible moment, of course, was when we got to Mount Sinai, we heard God speaking to us. We were told we, were, we, we willingly and absolutely as one people said, Na'asev Nishma. We want your Torah. We want to be your people. We're ready to be married to you and carry on this mission. We're ready to make a covenant with you. And basically, the whole idea of Torah and Mount Sinai is that this was the chuppah. This was where God and the Jewish people, madly in love with each other, got married. The wedding ring was the Torah right? The chuppah, so to speak, was Mount Sinai. And the rabbis teach us that the Jewish people were on a level of Adam and Chava, the first man and woman, before the sin, before they had eaten from the tree. So we were basically back at this incredible level of paradise, of Eden. We were back in the Garden of Eden, and we were at this highest moment and basically, we know that what happens after that is, you know, Moshe says to the people, okay, I'm going to go up now and I'm going to go get the Torah. And he goes up for 40 days. Okay. This is um, the time period from the 6th of Sivan, which is the holiday of Shavuot, where we got the Torah, right? 40 days later, Moshe comes down on the 17th of Tammuz, and we all know the story, the Jewish people are dancing around with a golden calf. They panic. They miscalculate Moshe's time of his 40-day sojourn on the mountain. The uh, Erevrab among the Jewish people, which were many Egyptians that left Egypt together with the Jewish people, right? Who said, we want to be part of you because, wow, we understand your God is more powerful than Pharaoh. Your God is, you know, the one that makes sense to follow. But because they were so um, mired in idol worship, they, we are told, are the ones who sort of began the whole process with the Jewish people of, let's make a calf. We need somebody to uh, replace Moshe. We can't do this alone. And again, I've said in other classes, it's not like the B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people were not also idol worshipers when they were in Egypt. It wasn't so far-fetched for them. And Moshe comes down and he sees this incredible orgy of people worshiping this calf. And we know what happens. We all saw the movie, right? He takes the luchot, the ones that were written by the finger of God, totally miraculously, and they smash. And this is the month, this is the day called the 17th of Tammuz. It comes before the month of Av, okay? And it's a fast day. Now, basically, there's another 40-day period. I want you to think about three 40-day periods, okay? So the first one was from the time we were standing at the highest heights. Hashem, we, we told Hashem, we want your Torah. 
40 days later, Moshe comes down, we're dancing around a calf and he breaks the luchot. So now begins the next 40 days where Moshe pleads for God not to destroy the Jewish people. Okay, God is basically saying to Moshe, I don't need these people. They're, 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 you know, let's start over. Moshe, we're going to start over with you. And of course, we know Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the penultimate leader and the symbol of leadership for all time, says, uh-uh, these are my people. Hashem, if you want to destroy them, don't start over with me. Take me with them because I'm their leader. And for 40 days, Moshe pleads with Hashem. He goes back up onto the mountain. And during this time, of course, the Jewish people are engaged in introspective, in uh, realigning themselves with their purpose, in getting themselves back to that state of, oh my gosh, we had a moment of insanity, but we really want this marriage. We really want to be in this love relationship with you, Hashem. And basically, Moshe comes down again. Okay, he comes down 40 days later on Rosh Chodesh Elul, the month that we're in right now. And the Jewish people are basically reaccepted. And again, it's a month where, so to speak, this marriage couple that's had a little bit of a rift, right? A turning away from each other, a violent, almost kind of estrangement and potential divorce is now being reconciled and not just that, but the love is even closer and the bond is even stronger because it's been tested and there's been this return. And again, we, we, we've said over and over in my classes, something that we learned from David HaMelech where David HaMelech describes the relationship between God and the Jewish people as a shadow. He says, Hashem is my shadow. When I take a step closer, my shadow takes a step closer. When I take a step back, my shadow takes a step back. So that's our relationship that we have with Hashem. We're in the driver's seat, so to speak. We're the ones that say to Hashem, we want that connection. We want that relationship. So during this time between Rosh Chodesh Elul and Yom Kippur is another 40 days these are the 40 days where we're basically developing that love again. And on Yom Kippur, that's the day that we're told Moshe Rabbeinu comes down with the second set of luchot. And the Jewish people are completely forgiven. We are totally cleansed. We begin again like a newborn baby. And this time period... And this sequence of events that happened in history is something that replays itself every single year and is available for each one of us. One of the biggest hazards that we have, just like the Jews in the desert, is not believing strongly enough in Hashem's love for us. That there's nothing we could do to sever that bond, to disconnect ourselves from Hashem who loves us more than a parent loves a child, more than anybody could ever love us on this earth. After all, he created us, each one of us, with purpose. And so we have this ability now to tap into this time of number one, recognizing not only Hashem's love and belief in each one of us, but working on believing in ourselves and in our own greatness. And not listening to the voices that try to get us down. I just want to share with you something that I learned from one of my teachers, actually. Uh, I hadn't heard her voice since I was, I don't know, in my 20s. And they put out one of her recordings yesterday uh, through my old school that I became a Balchuva Ia. And she said something so beautiful. Um, just for everybody who doesn't know, there's a custom beginning on Rosh Chodesh Elul to read a psalm, a particular psalm, every single day, once in the morning and once at night. And it's actually a beautiful psalm. 
Um, you know, maybe I'll read it to you. It's Psalm 27 for anybody who has a Tehillim. You can look at it after. But the reason we read it, one of the reasons we read it is because it alludes to the upcoming Yamim Noraim, to the upcoming holidays, right? So going back to this idea, Elul, which is this incredible time of love, it has this duality of being mingled with fear. What's the fear? The fear is that the month of Elul, we're preparing at the same time that we're reconnecting with Hashem and we're understanding how much he loves us and how he took us back and how even with the golden calf, he said, okay, I'm forgetting about it. I'm forgiving and I'm forgetting. Let's start over, right? That, that um, with all of that, one of, our, one of the fear aspects is that we have the Yom Tavim coming up and we have Rosh Hashanah coming up which is Yom Hadim. It's the day of judgment. It's the day we're told when God reviews all of our actions. He looks at us as part of the Jewish people. He looks at us individually. Okay. And he says, are you with me or are you against me? Are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? Are you turning in a way that's showing me even though I am a sinner or whatever, whatever word reverberates, even though every single one of us does things that is antithetical to God's purpose and plan in this world and his desire to move things forward. The point is, God just says, I just want to know that you want, you want to be on my team. And if I know that you want to be on my team, then in my eyes, everything that you do that's that goes against that is just a fluke. It's not really you. You're just having a moment of temporary insanity, right? Which is the nature of being human. We have, right? We have a Yetzer Har, we have a Yetzer Tov. Hashem created us this way. God knows that we are involved in this constant struggle, but he just wants to know that we are aligned and on his team, so to speak. And that's what this month of Elul is about, reconnecting to the incredible love so that what else would we want except to be plugged in to this tremendous pleasure that is the love that Hashem wants to allow us to feel, right? And that love is unconditional on the one hand. It's there for anybody. But of course, it grows based on how much we accept the responsibility of deepening that love, of being in that relationship and playing by the rules of the relationship that were set up thousands of years ago at Mount Sinai when we got married to Hashem. Okay, so just a little bit about this psalm. This psalm, one of the reasons we say it is because it's an allusion to the upcoming holidays. So we say, Le David of David, Hashem or Rivishi, God is my light and my salvation. Mimi ira, who should I fear? Who should I be afraid of? There's nobody who can harm me or benefit me, as we said in my Bitachon class, except for whether, except only if Hashem allows it. So who should I fear? The only one I should fear is God. The only one I should want to please and get approval from is him because he's my protection. He's my light. Hashem is my light and my salvation. So the word ori, we're told, refers to Rosh Hashanah. Or meaning light. It's a day of light. It's a day where we're being judged. But it's also a day where Hashem is shining a light on each one of us. And showing each one of us how precious each one of us are and the mission that we're in this world for, that only you can accomplish. I can't do it for you. I don't have your particular traits. I don't have your particular setup in life. Your Nisayono, your tests, your family, your circle one, right? Each one of us has our own suitcase, and in that suitcase, we also have all the tools to be able to overcome whatever challenges. Hashem is my light, Rosh Hashanah, the Yish'i, my salvation, which is a reference to Yom Kippur. 
Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Interesting, in English, if you reread the word atonement, you could read it as at one mint, at one mint, right? This is a day where we are completely forgiven of all of our averas, where we can, where we behave like angels, right? We dress in Rosh Hashanah, we dress in white, but on Yom Kippur, we don't eat, right? We don't busy ourselves with human needs because we want to stand there as if we are angels who don't need any physical things. And this is a day where God says, you know, I'm going to completely purify you, you know, just climb up on my back, just make that little turn. And I'm going to do this for you. Okay. Okay. So these, these two words at the very beginning, or really she referred to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then further down, I'll just read it in English for you because it's so beautiful. It says, whom shall I fear? Hashem is the strength of my life. Who, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers approach me to devour my flesh, my tormentors and my foes, they stumble and fall. Now, by the way, whenever David HaMelech is speaking about his enemies, and these are really real enemies, flesh and blood enemies. David HaMelech was a warrior. He fought many wars. He's talking about the real thing, but he's also talking about the Yetzirah. In other words, when we read these words, we're talking about our own tormentors and our own foes, and they can be the voices inside of ourselves, the negative voices around us, the negative voices within us. Oh, I can't do that. That's not me. I can't do that mitzvah. Nobody does that in my circles. You know, what will people think of me if I start looking different, acting different, doing things differently. And it doesn't matter what level you're on. We all have that voice that says, uh-uh, you're not changing, no way. And it's because that is the voice of the Yetzirah. The last thing it wants is for a Jew to connect or reconnect on a higher level with his maker, because that is the way Jews bring the light of Hashem's imminence and presence into the world when we act like jews when we become more of who we're supposed to be we hasten the geula we bring the mashiach closer and we bring more godliness into the world with every act we do we make god less opaque right and other people wake up and see god because we're all interconnected right one of the things that covid taught us is we're all interdependent. A Jew in Toronto decides to do one more act or one more mitzvah, just a little bit better. And some Jew who's walking around in Timbuktu who has no clue that they're Jewish even, or maybe, you know, didn't know very much, all of a sudden has some kind of occurrence or event or happening or epiphany that begins their journey back to Yiddishkeit. We're all interconnected. We're all one body and one soul. If it's not true, it's true of the entire world, but even more so of the Jewish people. And even the non-Jews recognize, right? When a Jew does something good in the world, they see it as all Jews are good. But a Jew does something bad in the world or corrupt in the world, when they cheat or they lie, it's all Jews are like that, Right? Because the non-Jews know that we are one body and one soul. We are so completely interconnected. So it says, if it, okay, so just to go on, um, if an army should encamp against me, my heart would not fear. If war were to rise against me, in this I trust. One thing I ask of Hashem only, that that shall I see, that I may dwell in the house of Hashem all the days of my life, to behold the pleasantness of Hashem and to meditate in his sanctuary. And then the next line, I'm just going to read in Hebrew. So it says he's going to hide me in his sukkah on the day of distress. So again, we have the three holidays alluded to in this psalm, which is why we read it. Okay. Rosh Hashanah. At the beginning, Ori, the Yish'i, my salvation is Yom Kippur. And then later on, it says, and God will 
hide me in his sukkah. Because the idea is after we've gone through this whole process of teshuva, of coming back to Hashem, of Hashem forgiving us, of receiving those luchot, those new tablets on Yom Kippur, of being, so to speak, back up on this incredible level that we were on at Mount Sinai, then God says, now you can come into my sukkah. And what is the sukkah? The sukkah is a flimsy hut with no roof, with nothing to protect you from the elements. But the sukkah represents the message of this song, that you don't have anything to fear. Right? There's an expression in the Gemara that says, don't fear the bite of the snake. Fear sin. Because, because that's the only thing that we want to fear. Now, I want to talk a little bit about fear and how it relates to this month of Elo. Again, this is part of the class that I gave that's on my podcast that you can listen to, which goes into more depth. So in Elo, again, we, we go back to this idea of Anila Dodi Vidodili. There's this tremendous love that Hashem is just manifesting in this month. On the other hand, we have a certain fear mingled with that. Because we know the day of judgment's coming up, that God's scrutinizing our deeds, that God's deciding life or death. And life or death doesn't mean only physically. Of course, that's part of it too. But life or death means, are you going to be really alive? Is your neshama, your soul going to animate your body? Is it going to be the master? Or is it continue to be a slave to your body. In other words, your body is the one that leads and calls the shots and says, you know, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. I want my body to feel good. As opposed to the neshama saying, nope, we're going to visit the sick. We're going to give tzedakah now, right? And all the other things that is the voice of the neshama, the voice of the soul, which is the voice of giving as opposed to taking, right? in its crudest form, right? Or, you know, in its most absolute form, I should say. So the fear is the mashal that's given that we women can relate to. And the fear that we're talking about in Elul is not a fear that's supposed to paralyze us. It's not a fear that's supposed to make us scared and unable to move forward because we are afraid of our imperfectionism. We've got to be perfect for God to accept us back, right? We've got to be absolutely perfect. That is the voice of the Yetzirah again. Oh, you said you weren't going to speak Lashon Hara, and you just did. Just give it up. Just forget it. You're never going to get there. No. The idea, again, is are we engaged in the process? Are we on the playing field? Are we in the game? Does it mean we don't fumble the fall? Does it mean we don't miss the goal sometimes? It's okay. But we want to be in the game. That's all Hashem wants from us. Get up on my back. Get in the game. I'll do the rest. Come with me. I'll take you higher. I'll take you to that place of actualized potential, of knowing what you're living for, what you were created for. There can't be any greater pleasure than knowing that, right? There's no greater pleasure than knowing what you're living for, why you're in this world, what you're supposed to be doing as an individual and as part of the Jewish people. Okay, so the fear is, a, is characterized by a mashal, a parable of a guest that's coming to visit you. And this guest that calls you up and says, Judy, I want to come to your house and I want to stay with you, right? Now, you have to picture somebody who you really admire. You know, I don't know. It could be your top, you know, movie star. You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever gets you going, okay? Your top rock star, your musician. But, you know, ideally, you know, for some people, it's a Rav that comes to town and he could stay anywhere. And he says, I want to stay with you. You know, it could be a friend that you admire and a mentor, a role model. 
So the idea of this love and fear intermingling is on the one hand, you're super excited. You are so elated that of all the people in Toronto, this person called you up and said, I want to stay with you. Okay. And it's like so exciting and you're so flattered and it's incredible. And you're going to have this close time with them to yourself. Because after they give the lecture or whatever they came to town for, you're the one that's driving them home. You're the one that gets to talk to them till two in the morning, right? On the other hand, you're scared, you're terrified. And all of a sudden it says that you're like a, a, a woman who looks at her house and says, oh my gosh, I have this important guest coming. I have to get this place together. I have to really make things perfect. I've got to have the perfect meal. I've got to be wearing the right outfit. I've got to make sure that stain on my carpet is off. I've got to make sure that my guest room is like, you know, those curtains are looking really old. They're looking really, you know, they're not worthy of this guest. So that's the idea that this is a month where we clean house. And we're cleaning our own house. Why? Because God is coming to see us. God is coming down from his throne. He's coming into the field, right? And, you know, the field could be whatever your field is, you know, is it your kitchen? Is it your workplace? It's wherever you are in this world. It doesn't matter where you are. You're busy taking care of kids. You're, you know, busy taking care of your mother-in-law or your older parents, God comes to you where you are in your field, right? You just have to be there. And he says, I want to spend time with you. So on the one hand, again, you're elated. You can't believe it. You're going to have this incredible moment of privacy, of quiet, of connection. And yet the fear, the trembling is, am I up to par? Am I good enough? Is this the right outfit? What am I going to feed my guests? Where am I going to take them? They've only got 24 hours or whatever. And that's the kind of love and fear that we can put together. You see, Judaism is a religion of dialectics, which mean that we can take two opposites and they can both be true at the same time. And the trick is to hold them both together at one moment, these seeming opposites and contradictions. And that's what the month of Elul is. It's, I'm so excited. I'm so exhilarated. There's this incredible love that's floating around me. This incredible desire for Hashem to connect with me just because I'm me, just because he loves me, because I'm his kid. Okay. And then there's this, oh my gosh, the president is coming to my house, you know, uh, you know, the queen of England is looking at me and waving at me, right? That moment of like, do I look okay? Is everything all right with me? Is my house in order? So that's what we're also supposed to be doing during ELO. We're supposed to be preparing for this time, right? Um, <clears throat> There was a, 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 a rabbi who was once passing by a Gentile farmer and he overheard him saying to his workers, you know, we better bring in the harvest now because if we don't do it now, we won't have food for the coming year. <clears throat> so he took that as a, <clears throat> as a lesson for himself. And he said, this is also what the month of Elul is. I better do the work that I need to do now. I better bring in the harvest, meaning go over my year, go over my accounting of myself, what I can improve, what I can do better, what I already do well that I can just expand and widen, right? This is a month where we take what we already do well. If you're already doing certain mitzvahs, if you're already serving dinner to your husband, do it with a smile, right? Do it even nicer. Put more of yourself into what you're already doing. Widen yourself. Expand yourself. This Rabbi Nassim Svi Wachsfeigl says that this is the, the, the um, avoda of Elul, the work of Elul, is the asay tov, to take the good that you already do and do it even better. 
right? Especially with our circle one people. Be a better friend, be a better wife, be a better mother at this time because God will help you. And anything that you do that is not, Hashem will say, oh, that was a blip on the radar screen. That was not her. That was just a fluke. She had a moment of insanity. She got angry. She, whatever. That's the way this month, this generosity of this month is. And again, the most important part is that we believe in ourselves. We believe that Hashem loves us. And we believe that there's nothing that we could do to sever that relationship. Now, I've given this analogy before, but I'll, I'll say it again because it's so beautiful. The idea is that Hashem has this rope and we are connected to this rope. And, you know, whether we live in the illusion that we're independent from God, which is a total illusion, and where our moments of insanity come from, just like the two-year-old that says, I do it myself. No, 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 no. I, I'm ready to take on life without you, mom and dad. Or the teenager that does the same thing, right? Relives the two-year-old in a bigger body, right? I'm independent. I don't need you. We also go through life with this illusion that somehow we live and breathe and get up every morning all by ourselves. But the reality is, that we are connected to Hashem before we come into this world. We will be connected to Hashem when we leave this world. And the work of this world is to not get distracted and think that we are independent, but rather reconnect constantly to that reality. And again, it's hard work. The Torah and the mitzvot are there to help us. They're there to give us that consciousness that God awareness, that God being obsessed with God is a Jewish trait, right? I don't go to the bathroom without thinking about God when I come out. I don't put something in my mouth without thinking about God before I nourish my body so that it will be strong to be able to serve God or do his mitzvot or bring his light into the world so that the purpose of mankind will not only be realized, but my personal purpose as part of the nation that only I can do will be accomplished. Okay, so that's the reality that we're trying to realign ourselves. That's the at one of Yom Kippur, that this whole time period of failure, we fail and we get back up again, the rope. We cut the rope. We say, God, I don't need you. God, I don't believe in you, really. I don't believe you love me. I don't believe that I matter this much. And what I do matters this much. And so I'll do what I want. We cut the rope. But this time period, just like the Jewish people did when they worshipped the golden calf, just like the Jewish people did when they said, go into the land of Israel. We're not going into that land. You know why you're taking us in there, God? Because you hate us. That's what it says in the Torah. Because you hate us. We're going to go in there. We're going to die. There's giants in that land. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We don't believe in ourselves. And we don't really believe in you. Because you don't really love us. How could you love us? After we've done all these terrible things. That's the voice of the Yetzirah. How could you love me? So, <clears throat> so what am I saying? Where am I? <laughs> Stream of consciousness. Uh, so the point of this time period, again, is that love and that fear. We don't want to let God down. We want to put our best selves forward. We're going into the courtroom on Rosh Hashanah, right? It's a court case. We're coming in, we dress nicely, we eat beautiful foods on Rosh Hashanah because we're confident that we've prepared and we're going to win this court case. That's why we don't come, you know, we come in our best, looking our best. We don't come in our jail clothes. We don't come with our beard, you know, slovenly if you're a man. We come looking as good as we can because we're confident that Hashem is going to give us a good year, that Hashem is going to write us in the book of life. 
life again, meaning spiritual life, meaning connection to Hashem, which is the true life that we can have in this world. And of course, that continues with us into the next world. The connection that we build, that's what takes, that's what we we live on in the next world. So again, back to that rope. That's what I didn't finish. We cut the rope, but Hashem comes and he takes the two ends of the rope and he reties them. And he ties them with this knot. And now we were, instead of being five feet away from Hashem, before we did the wrong thing, before we cut the rope, we're now only four and a half feet from Hashem. It's the teshuva. It's the turning back to Hashem after we've done wrong, after we've estranged ourselves from our parent, from our lover. The coming back, the reconciliation, the forgiveness, the reconnection and the closeness. That's what this time period is all about. Now, we also have to recognize that it's also a time of din. We talked about din last year. Din is judgment right? God is a God of judgment. So on the one hand, we, again, we have this love, but we have this fear, this fear of the judgment. So how do we reconcile the two? Where does the din fit in the judgment that Hashem is going to exact upon us, right? If we lived in a world that had no judgment, no justice, it would be a chaotic world. As much as we might like to break the rules ourselves, go through the red lights, we can get the place we need to get to faster because we have to be there and late, right? We all would agree that if we get a ticket doing that, as much as we don't like the ticket, we're not going to say, let's just suspend all these stupid traffic laws, okay? Because there has to be din, there has to be judgment and justice for the world to go on. And the truth is, is din is something that is very beloved to the Jewish people. The same Hashem, the same beloved partner, right? The same God of love is going to be exacting justice on the world, on Rosh Hashanah. How does this work? How do I prepare for that? Love and din together, how do they work? God loves us, but he also judges us, okay? Now, the one idea of that is that the fact that he judges us means that he cares, He cares about what we do. It matters to him. He's telling us, you are so important. When you do right, it's incredible. And I want to reward you. Just like the parent. A parent has certain expectations of their children. When the child comes through and does that thing that's really hard for them, what does the parent want to do but give them a huge hug and say, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? You know, it's my treat, order up or whatever. I'll get you that thing that you want. I want to give it to you. You know why? Because you earned it. You earned it. And when you earn something, it feels good. And I want to reward you. And we can take the parent paradigm again. When our child disappoints us, when he doesn't get to where we believe he can get to, when he does wrong over and over again, as a responsible parent, We exact din, we give punishment, we give consequence, because we're hoping that that will steer them in the right direction. It's all coming from love. A parent who doesn't love their child doesn't give consequences, doesn't try to push them in the right way with the tough love, so to speak, right? We need both. And so that's what din is. Hashem is giving us something very, very special. I know we're getting close to the end and we'll continue with this next week, but I just want to leave you with a medrash from Devarim Rabbah that talks about a king who has children and he has a favorite son. His youngest child is his favorite. And he also has many, many orchards, but there's one orchard that he loves more than any other. And he says to himself, you know what? I'm going to give my favorite possession, my favorite orchard to my favorite youngest son. So this is a parable of God with the Jewish people. He says, from all the nations that I created, the one that I love the most 
And yes, it's true. You're allowed to say this. Shh, don't let anybody know. The one that I love the most, right? We're all supposed to be equal and the same out there in the world. But the one that I love the most is B'nai Yisrael, is the Jewish people. Why? Because the Jewish people chose me. They chose a relationship with me back at Mount Sinai. That relationship was open to every nation, but only the Jewish people stepped up to the plate with all the ramifications that that relationship will bring about, right? The tremendous persecution that we've been through because of it, because we stepped up to the plate and said, we're going to do this. And the ramifications, if we didn't, and if we don't, and if we ignore our mission, and the tremendous love and specialness that we have because we stepped up to the plate, that we're God's favorite. We're God's chosen because we chose God, right? And so God says, from all the nations I created, the one I love the most is the B'nai Israel. And of all the things I created, I love din, judgment, justice, most of all, right? That's why so many Jews become lawyers, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, Hashem loves law. He loves law and order. So he says, I'm going to give din, which I love the most, to my nation, whom I love the best. But wait a second, is this, isn't this problematic? Imagine that your friend who loves you the most gives you a present. He gives you a summons to court. Okay? I love you so much. I'm bringing you to court. And if you deserve a ticket, I'm going to give it to you. And if I'm going to let you off, I'm going to let you off. But you better plead your case and you better make it a good one. And it can simply be, it was a moment of insanity when I went through that red light. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Forgive me. If it's sincere and it's real, just like a parent who would, of course, I forgive you. I'll give you another chance and another one and another one and another one. I know you really want it. So I'm willing to do this. So why would we think that, that why is it that Hashem loves Din so much? What's so good about it? Okay, we're getting to the end. I know. Rebetzin Heller says there's actually an idea in Kabbalah that every one of the elements has a parallel with Hashem's character traits. Zahav, which is gold, corresponds to din, just, justice, judgment. Gold is something that everybody wants. Everyone in the world is seeking. Even in Hebrew, the word zahav, you can read it as zehav, this I want. Hav is Aramaic for want, okay? This I want. The human psyche is always saying, even if we don't realize it subconsciously, give me justice. Give me din. Eric Fromm, a, fav a famous psychoanalyst from the 70s, said in his book, Escape from Freedom, his basic premise of his book is that people will do almost anything to put themselves in a restrictive position. They'll get married. They'll take a job. They'll go to an exercise class. These are all putting yourself in restrictive conditions. Wouldn't you rather just be single, do whatever you want, not have to be responsible to anybody, right? He says, because people crave something that limits them, that puts boundaries and structures around them, right? You don't like getting a ticket, but you know that if you didn't get tickets, then the whole world, then the whole street, I mean, getting, driving your car out there would be bedlam, would be chaos. So, you know, we have, we go on diets, we get personal trainers, we look for restrictions, we look for limits. And the last idea I'm going to leave you with is why is this? Why is this built in to the human psyche, to the human condition, right? If you give a kid ice cream all week long, then they begin to lose their pleasure, their taste buds. If they're only given it once a week on Shabbat, or you have a special Shabbat treat, right? Then it becomes explosive. It becomes incredible. 
because you were limited all week long. You, do, you couldn't have that treat, okay? Um, it's only against the backdrop of din that we can really appreciate brachamim, which is the opposite of din, compassion, mercy, right? Going beyond the law of justice. You know what? You don't really deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Oh, does that ever feel good? As long as it's not all the time, right? But when we know that there's din in the backdrop, that what I get, I deserve. And if I behave properly, it'll be good. And if I don't, it won't be good. And I earn it. Then now, brachamim, whenever it happens, is a good thing. In a world, okay. So originally God wanted to create the world with din. He wanted to create the world only with justice. You do right, you get rewarded. You do wrong, you get punished. And the angels came along and said, God, you can't make the world like that because human beings are going to do wrong again and again and again. And that's when God said, okay, I'm going to mix my din with rachamim, with mercy, with compassion. What's that mercy and compassion? I'm going to end with this idea. The greatest compassion that Hashem gives us is the opportunity to always return to him, to say, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness sincerely and say, I want to try again. I want to start again. I want to be just a little bit better. Please take me back. Let me jump on your back. Let me realign myself with, with my, my personal mission and the mission of the Jewish people. So that when I get to Yom Kippur, I can stand there in a place of at one with you. Total alignment. And that's my wish for all of us, that God willing, we use this tremendous time period of love, which is all around us, because this is the time when God forgave the Jewish people. Like a husband who took, takes back an adulterous wife, right? Who's worshiping the golden calf, who's gone off on some other, you know, wild orgy, so to speak, and says, it's okay. We can never get divorced. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm in for you forever. And you're in for me forever. We're stuck with each other. So all you need to do is take a step forward closer to me. And I'm your shadow. I'll take a step closer to you. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for coming back again. And God willing, may we all have the most beautiful yentav. May we see the world get to a better place, you know, where these restrictions and this din that God has been putting on the entire world will lead to this place of incredible rachamim and compassion where God will give us the world that we're all hoping for and all the things in our personal lives that are lacking and that we're missing, that those things will be filled with exactly what we want and what we need and what's good for us. Okay. Amen. Let Thank us you. say amen. 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 Thank you, Devorah. Okay, Thank, Thank you, you for listening and thank you. And we'll see you next Wednesday. Mir Hashem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.